So I'll begin uh, reading in a moment in Jude 1, verse 1. Last time, I got ahead of myself on my preaching calendar by adding verses 14 to 16 to Eugene's sending sermon. Uh, So as I did that, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on verses 17 through 23 today. We're going to focus on verses 24 through 25 the next time we're in Jude. And then we're going to have an extra sermon that should have been verses 24 through 25 that'll be an overview sermon of the entirety of the book of Jude and just deal with some major themes from the book of Jude and some of the biblical theology that we find in that middle section of the passage, especially verses 5 through 16. So if you're looking at the sermon card, just pay attention to Pastor Will's sermon and everybody else's, but what I have for me, just know that we're going to get there in the end. So it's going to be just fine. Uh, But as you turn to Jude now, you might also remember that it's a little book that's incredibly relevant in the New Testament. It's been helping us see that it's not just errant teaching that's the problem. And it's not just immoral living that's the problem. For Jude, errant teaching and immoral living have dire consequences. Since how we live, not merely what we profess to believe, is the most reliable indicator of what we actually believe. There are false teachers who are twisting truth and living false lives. And he helps us see that what we believe really matters. What we believe matters because just as God's people will be kept by Jesus for glory, so God's enemies will be kept by Jesus for judgment. And now Jude comes to the main purpose of his letter, which is actually the main purpose uh, that we all know right now, if we know anything of the book of Jude, that we're to contend for the faith. He gives his readers positive instructions about how in the situation which they find themselves they are to contend for the faith as they begin to persevere and continue to persevere through this world of falsehood and he says the church must labor to keep herself in the love of God Jude writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he speaks to us with the same authority as of Jesus Christ himself we're here speaking to us today look in verse 1 Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, who was disputing about the body of Moses, did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion." These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to condemn all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all their harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, 
following their own sinful desires, they are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is light unto our feet. It is a lamp unto our path. Father, we give our attention to it because we believe that it is by means of your word that you not only build up your church, but, Father, that you call people who are not Christians to the truth and open their eyes to see the beauty of the gospel and regenerate their hearts that they might be born again. So now we ask, Father, that you would help us to focus. Focus that we might be built up or focus that we might be born again. Father, we pray for those who are here who are not yet believers. Father, for those who are here who maybe think of themselves as believers and are not, we ask that you would do the good work of redeeming grace and cause them to believe in Jesus Christ by faith. And Father, we pray for those who are believers who are here, that you would encourage them from your word. Father, that they might be strengthened to persevere through this world of falsehood. Father, we pray for this church that she would persevere that you would keep Christ Church Westchester faithful should you tarry and give us life until our Lord Jesus returns. And we ask all of this in the name of our God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> in his book, Caught in the Pulpit, Leaving Belief Behind, Daniel Dennett has Richard Dawkins write the foreword in which he asks, what must it be like to be frightened of your own beliefs, before he paints unbelieving clergy, false teachers, false professors as, quote, victims of a job which forbids them to tell the truth about what they really believe, victims of a job that, quote, demands the highest standards of moral integrity, and so, quote, torments them with a wasting sense of shameful hypocrisy as he seeks to drum up support for those men and women caught in the pulpit of unbelief. But Jude has no sympathy for such false teachers who pervert the grace of our God and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude, like Jesus, is fierce with false teachers, but he does not think that identifying them is enough. He does not think that speaking against them is enough. As he turns from describing false teachers to teaching believers, the church must keep herself in the love of God. And to do that, she must do three things. Remember, remain, and restore. Notice first, remember. Look with me again at verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Jude once again exhorts his readers toward remembrance as he instructs them on how they can persevere through this world of falsehood. Verse 17, you must remember. The theme of remembrance is very important to Jude. In fact, it is one of the most important themes across the Bible. God's people are always being called to remember, to remember, to remember. The theme of remembrance is important to Jude, but it does not involve, as one commentator said, mere mental recollection, as when we remember someone's name, that we had temporarily forgotten. Remembering for Jude means that someone take to heart the words that are spoken 
so that they are imprinted upon one's life. Friends, Jude knows that it is possible for you to remember biblical facts and live as if they're actually fantasy. Jude knew this, so he, verse 5, reminded these Christians of the prophetic warnings regarding these false teachers in verses 5 to 16, that they might flee from all of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. He reminded them. The prophets had spoken about them. This is nothing new. In the Old Testament, you'll see prophet after prophet after prophet warning God's people of false teachers who will lead them astray. And he called them to remembrance of what the apostles had also said as he speaks to these Christians, verse 17, of the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ so that they would know not only did the Old Testament prophets prophesy about these false teachers, but the New Testament apostles anticipated these false teachers, teachers who, verse 4, pervert the grace of God and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. The warnings of the prophets as well as the warnings of the apostles were directed against these present opponents whom these, verse 17, beloved, dearly loved congregants are facing. Their presence should not be a surprise. It should not shock God's God's people that there are people outside of the church who are false teachers or that there are people who creep inside of God's church who are false teachers. Jesus warned of them. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Paul warned the Ephesian elders of them. Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Peter warned of them. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. From Jesus to Peter to Paul, the New Testament warns God's people of people creeping in among God's people to lead them away. Not simply of an external enemy, but of an enemy that twists and perverts and blunts the edge of God's commands to lead people away. Their presence should not be a surprise. And God's dearly loved people should not be unprepared to deal with them because the apostolic warning about these false teachers was actually spoken to them. Verse 18. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, those who ridicule, following their own ungodly passions. They're not following God's passions. They're not following God's ways. They're following their passions. They're following their ways. Jude reminds them that it was predicted that there would be ungodly scoffers in the days between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. Ungodly scoffers carried along by their own passions who, verse 19, cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Their worldly behavior, of verse 16 of these people, is complaining and grumbling and boasting, showing favoritism and partiality to gain advantage, which causes division among the dearly loved people of God, causing some to doubt, others to deny the faith altogether, and others towards licentiousness and sensuality. And Jude says the immoral behavior of verse 4, notice how much he tries to identify these people throughout the book. These certain people. In verse 8, these people. In verse 10, these people. 
In verse 12, these people. In verse 16, these people. And now again, verse 19, these people. Is sufficient evidence that in reality they do not possess the Spirit of God. That they are not Christian people. That they live an unredeemed life regardless of what they profess to believe. Judge not lest ye be judged does not mean that we never make a judgment. Jude certainly did not think so. There comes a time when some behaviors are so heinous or so consistent that we can no longer affirm someone as one of God's people. But what might startle us when we're reading Jude, brothers and sisters, is to learn that one of those behaviors is verse 19, a divisive spirit among those who are calling themselves God's people. For Jude, it is not simply a character flaw. It is an ungodly behavior that might mean you're not a Christian. These false teachers cause divisions because they do not belong to God. They lack God's spirit, but the church should not be surprised. The apostles foresaw this, and the church should not be unprepared to deal with them because the apostles foresaw this. Prepared because God's never promised his church that they would progress through the world without enemies outside of them and enemies from within them. Friends, when we come to the book of Jude, we see that we are wrong to think that the blessing of God means that we will exist in a blissful state with no conflict. On the contrary, Jude says the apostles foretold that opponents would come and they have arrived and they were evident by their words and they were evident by their works They were evident to be false teachers who preached false things, and they were evident to be false teachers by the way they lived a false life. It should be clear to all that they were not a part of God's people. The church should recognize them. The church should reject them. And the church should reach out to those wavering under their influence because the church has to labor to keep herself in the love of God. They are to remember so that they may keep themselves in the love of God. But notice second, they must remain. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude has already said that they are kept people. Look at verse 1 with me. To those who are called... Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. God's people are kept for Jesus Christ. God's people are kept by Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is meant to be an encouraging truth for us. The reason that you woke up a Christian this morning, the reason that you will not deny the faith by the end of this same day, is because Jesus Christ is keeping you. You are a kept people, kept by the power of God through faith, shielded by the power of God and guarded by your Savior who loves you and gave himself up for you. And that is meant to be good news. You are treasured and kept by Jesus Christ. But here, Jude says believers have a part to play. They are to, verse 21, keep themselves in the love of God. Divine sovereignty of God keeping his people and human responsibility of them keeping themselves are not contradictory for Jude. They're not mutually exclusive for Jude. They're not incompatible for Jude. The promise that God will keep his own does not nullify the responsibility of his dearly loved people to keep themselves in the love of God, teaching us that the grace of God does not cancel out our need to exert all of our energy to remain in God's love because life is not a pond. It is a river coursing toward worldliness, And you don't have to do anything other than what is natural to follow it straight to hell. So Jude turns from criticizing false teachers to exhorting these Christians because no one drifts towards godliness. Friends, if you're here and in your Christian life you are apathetic, if you're here and in your Christian life you're not keeping yourself vigilantly, Jude has a warning for you. No one drifts towards eternal life. No one drifts towards godliness. No one drifts towards conformity with God's word. So he says, verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up 
in your most holy faith, in praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude recognizes that they would not continue to be devoted to the faith once for all delivered to the saints if they merely concentrate on resisting opponents, as important as that is. They must also grow in the Christian faith themselves. Verse 21, keeping themselves in the love of God in order to avoid turning away and being corrupted by these false teachers. But how are they to do that? How are they to keep themselves when they are kept by God? Jude gives them help. But by these means, verse 20, by building themselves up in the faith, by verse 20 again, by praying in the Holy Spirit, by verse 21, waiting eagerly for the return of Christ. The exhortation from Jude is both Trinitarian and corporate. They keep themselves in the love of God the Father when they edify one another and pray in the Holy Spirit as they wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ together. You see, one of the dangerous things when we come to a passage like this in Jude is we fail to remember that Jude is not writing to a bunch of individual Christians. Jude is writing to a group of people who make up Christ's church. And every time he is speaking to you, like any good Southerner, he is speaking to y'all. You all, y'all must keep yourselves in the faith. They persevere and preserve themselves in holy faith of the triune God as they persevere through this world of falsehood together by continuing to grow in their understanding of the faith. The teachings that have been handed down to them at their conversion, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, as they, verse 20, build one another up instead of tearing one another down. Members of this church, would that characterize your interactions with other members of this church? Are you known by your actions and your behaviors as someone who is building other people up or tearing other people down? Do you specialize in tearing people down and making sure that they know that they're wrong? You give little to no attention to building one another up in the faith through prayer and encouragement, exhortation and rebuke. Jude did not think that Christian growth occurred mystically or mysteriously. Christian growth, according to Jude, occurs as God's beloved people build themselves up through the mind as they grow in their understanding of God's word and Christian truth together. Friends, fellow believers, fellow members of this church, God's beloved people experience God's love as their understanding of their most holy faith in the most holy God increases. God's beloved people experience God's love as their understanding of their most holy faith increases by understanding God better together. This is why we spend so much time teaching the Bible here at Christ Church Westchester, teaching the Bible in academy before congregational worship, reading from the Bible in congregational worship, preaching from the Bible every Sunday from this pulpit, teaching from the Bible at Sunday night theology, studying the Bible together at verse by verse. This is one of the reasons that we have so many readings from God's word in our service of corporate worship, from the call to worship to the benediction to both of the scripture readings and something that informs our prayers as we pray together. This is why, as our pastor Will said a few moments ago, we read from statements of faith or our statement of faith each and every Sunday to remind ourselves of Christian truth. Because affection for God increases, not by bypassing the mind and learning how to have a good time in Christ, by actually cultivating the mind so that we're built up together. That is the means by which God protects his people as they build one another up and encourage one another from the word of God. And Jude says these believers preserve themselves in holy faith of the most holy triune God as they persevere through this world of falsehood by continuing to grow in their understanding of the faith together. And, verse 20, by praying in the Holy Spirit. For the believer to pray at all is to pray in the Spirit. Or as Paul said, the believer is, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, 
praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Believers cannot keep themselves in God's love without depending on him in prayer. Perhaps you're here and you're one of our members who loves all of the times that we teach the Bible. We love that you love that we teach the Bible. We love that you show up when we teach the Bible. But perhaps you're here and you love when we're teaching the Bible, but you do not love to spend much time in prayer. Jude says that one of the ways that God's people keep themselves in God's love is by depending on him in prayer and not simply individually, but corporately, because love for God cannot be sustained without a relationship with him. And such a relationship is nurtured by prayer, by corporate prayer. This is why, friends, we ask you to say amen after each of the congregational prayers in our gatherings together. Even when one person is praying from the front or from the floor, we are all praying and affirming what is prayed together. We say amen and affirm that together. And this is one of the reasons that we have a Sunday evening service on the second Sunday night of each month here in this service that has an extended time of congregational member-led prayer. We are nurturing our relationship with the Lord together. We're not gathering so that we can fulfill a quota of amount of gatherings that we need to have each year together. We're gathering so that we might build one another up in prayer. Or as Mark Dever has said, we want to spend so much time in our public services praying, that people who only pretend to believe in God get bored by how much we pray together. Let me ask you, do you neglect our corporate times of prayer? Do you neglect them by not really listening on Sunday mornings? You hear the words, but it sounds a lot like the lady on Snoopy. Wah, 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 wah. You know that we gather but you don't come back on Sunday evenings because who wants to go out again on Sunday night? And it's not really that productive anyways. One of the ways that Jude says the church keeps herself together in the love of God is that God's people become a praying people together. These Christians, Jude says, preserve themselves and one another in holy faith of the most holy triune God as they persevere through this world of falsehood, by continuing to grow in their understanding of the faith, learning, reading, studying, preparing, asking questions, and by praying in the Holy Spirit together. And verse 21, by actively waiting for Christ's return. We cannot, Jude says, remain in God's love if we cease to long for the future. We must always be a people who long for the day when Jesus will come again and show us his mercy. We must always be a people who are building one another up and praying in such a way together that we are encouraging one another to wait for the day that Jesus will come and grant us the gift of eternal life that he has promised to us. We must always be a people who are encouraging one another to look forward to the day when we will all forever be with the Lord. Because those who take their eyes off the future will find that their love for God is slowly evaporating in their life as they simply just look at the circumstances immediately in front of them. Friends, are you discouraged in your faith today? Discouraged by what's happening in your own life? Discouraged by what's happening in the lives of other people that you know? Discouraged by what you see happening in the lives of other members of this church? Perhaps you are not looking out far enough Jude tells us, like so many other biblical authors, to keep our day eyes set on the day that is coming so that we do not become a people by which it is eventually evident that our real love is not for that day, but for this day in this present evil age. But those who, verse 21, wait for the mercy of the Lord, Jesus Christ, Jude says, will find that it leads to eternal life. Life, not death. Forever life that will never pass away. And forever life, where we will receive the mercy of the Lord. Mercy that has been extended to us when our Lord Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. When he substituted himself on the cross so that we might be the inheritors of eternal life. But that is not exactly how Jude uses the mercy here, is it? We read of the mercy and we almost only and exclusively think of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. 
and how Jesus substituted himself for us on the cross. Friends, let's be really clear. Jesus showed us mercy when he died for us, was buried, and raised again. But Jude actually speaks of a mercy that we will know and receive on the day when Jesus comes again. A mercy that we will know better on that day when we are not treated as our sins deserve. A mercy that we will know on that day when he wipes away every tear from our eyes. A mercy that we will know on that day when we are not cast into the fires of hell, but we are ushered into the presence of our Savior to eternal life. A mercy that will be ours forever, where we will continue to receive mercy after mercy after mercy after mercy. Jude does not want us to have a stunted view of the gospel and to think of God's mercy as only what Jesus did in the past. But he tells us that God's people will know mercy when they are forever with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, fellow believers, Christians, are you looking forward to the day when you will receive mercy upon mercy and grace upon grace and not treated for the way that you have lived your life between your profession and Christ's coming. But because you have believed in Jesus, you will receive mercy and grace and forgiveness and pardon. And all of those hopes will become reality on that day. And friend, if you're here and you're not a believer, we're here to tell you that on that day, there will be no mercy for you. God's people will know mercy, but you will know something different on that day. When they are called to be forever with the Lord, you will know God's judgment forever. And on that day, you will finally get what your life has merited and what you deserve. Everlasting torment, everlasting pain, everlasting judgment. Because the only thing that you have merited with your life is the judgment of God. Friends, if you are here and you are not a believer, we call you to trust in the Savior who is merciful and will show us his mercy the Savior who mercifully extends grace to his people if they will repent of their sins and trust in him, and the Savior who promises us that he will come on that day and extend us everlasting mercy by believing in him. Friend, if you want to learn more about that, how to become a Christian, how to be a recipient of God's mercy today and forever, you are in the best of all possible places. We are so glad that you have come to Christ Church Westchester today. Find me, find Will, find one of the members of this church. I'll be standing at that tunnel following the service. We would love to open the Bible with you and invite you to see this mercy clearly in the scripture and let nothing keep you from coming to find somebody today. Don't let it be the pride that you might have in your life of the fact that people here already think you to be a Christian. I can assure you that every person here who might think you're already to be a Christian would be very glad to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ afresh and tell you what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Friend, come to Christ. Trust in Christ. He is merciful to his people, not only by forgiving them, but he promises us that we will receive mercy afresh on that day. To remain in God's love, Jude tells us we must not think that all we need to do is attack false teachers and establishing a defensive perimeter so that we reveal all of their errors and protect ourselves from them. But tragically, that is some all people are concerned about, some, uh, what some people are concerned about, making sure that everybody knows who's wrong and everybody knows who's a heretic. But Jude says that we actually have to do something else. We have to be attentive to our own relationship with God individually and corporately, as we remain in God's love while waiting for the eternal life that will be mercifully brought to us on the day our Lord Jesus Christ returns. And we will only do that when, as A.W. Pink once said, we rest upon and enjoy the blessed truth of the absolute sovereignty of God as faith is in exercise. Faith is ever occupied with God. That is the character of it. That is what differentiates it from intellectual theology. Faith endures as seeing him who is invisible, endures the disappointments, the hardships, the heartache of life by recognizing that all comes from the hand of him who is too wise to err and too loving to be unkind. But so long as we are occupied with any other object than God himself, there will be neither rest for the heart nor peace for the mind. 
But when we receive all that enters our lives as from God's hand, then no matter what may be our circumstances or surroundings, whether in a hovel or a prison dungeon or at a martyr's stake, we shall be enabled to say, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. But that is the language of faith, not of sight nor of sense. Believer, do you have the language of faith today? Trusting that all that God brings into your life is good providence. And that he is bringing something about in your life through circumstances that you would have never chosen, situations that you would have never picked for yourself, to prepare you for an eternal weight of glory and to receive the mercy that God's people will receive when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Rather than, verse 19, causing divisions, being worldly, and showing ourselves devoid of the Spirit or unchristian. Jude says, believers, verses 20 and 21, build or edify, pray, and wait as they remain in the love of God together. And in so doing teaches us that you keeping yourself in the love of God is God keeping you as he who began a good work in you brings it to completion in anticipation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church must keep herself in the love of God. Friends, expend all of your energy on it. Fixate your mind on it. Pray about it. Wait together. Learn together. All of your energy is worthy of preparing for this day. As she remembers the predictions of the apostles, it remains in the love of God. And notice third, restores. Look at verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. As believers are in need of Jesus' mercy on that future day when they meet him face to face, so Jude now tells believers they should respond mercifully to those who have been affected by false teachers. So he's done three things in this passage. He says, it's not enough to simply say, here's all the wrong people. Avoid them. They're really wrong. Notice how wrong they are. He says, notice how wrong they are and build yourselves up and then go after people who have been deceived by them. As people who need to receive mercy, you need to be quick to extend mercy. Have mercy on those who doubt, verse 22. Those who doubt under the influence of false teachers. Rather than reject them or ignore them or remind them of how wrong they are in their wrongness, we should show mercy to them as they struggle with doubts. Friends, it is tempting to dismiss those struggling with doubts or to lose patience with those struggling with doubts. It's easy to move on to something or someone else when people doubt and we don't know what to say and we don't know what to do and we don't know what to give them to read and we don't know how to help them. But Jude encourages those of us who are strong to show mercy to those who are wavering with doubts that we might actually reclaim them with kindness. Mercy when they've been plunged into feelings of despair and taught to think that God is unfair. Mercy when they've been told to believe that there is no justice in God's world or even that they have been played for fools. Mercy when others have taught them to think if only I were a better Christian, I wouldn't feel this way. If only if I had more faith, these types of thoughts would never cross my mind. If only I were well-balanced like all of the other members of Christ Church Westchester, I'd have a happy and peaceful and flourishing and thriving life. And then I'd be one of the really good Christians. Mercy that teaches them that the Christian is not one who never has doubts or feelings of despair. The Christian is one who learns how to believe in spite of doubts, who does God's command even when they don't feel like it, who hopes when there seems to be nothing to hope for, who obeys when they do not want to obey. Mercy because they've been taught, verse 4, to pervert the grace of God into sensuality, sexual license, and sexual autonomy. I can do what I want with my life and I can do what I want with my body 
and nobody can tell me that I'm wrong to do it. Mercy, because they've been taught to pervert the grace of God into addiction, drug addiction, and alcohol addiction, and abuses of many kinds, to live for their own personal pleasure rather than for the slow, hard gain of godliness that Jude calls people to. Mercy, because 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Jude knew something in the first century that actually plagues the church in the 21st century. These are the people that we want to keep out and kick out. But Jude says, have mercy on them. Don't just keep them outside of your church or outside of your homes. And don't be quick to just cast them along and say, too dirty, don't want to deal with it. Jude says, have mercy on them. And careful readers, notice how many times he's calling God's people to mercy in this passage. Three times, verse 20, mercy. Verse 22, or verse 21, mercy. Verse 22, mercy. Verse 23, mercy. Mercy that he's been speaking about since the beginning of this book. He's praying that mercy and peace and love would be multiplied to God's people. And now he tells them, have mercy, show mercy, extend mercy to those who are confused and doubting. Come, build yourselves up in the faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, wait for the coming of our Lord and show mercy as people who are built up and anxiously waiting and calling people away from death to life. Friends, have you reached out to those under the discipline of this church who need the mercy of God still? Are there people that you're pushing out of your life and away from your life because it's difficult to show mercy to them? Are you refusing to tell someone the truth that their sin is sin and that God hates their sin even though they profess to be a believer because it doesn't seem to be merciful? Jude says, have mercy. Tell them the truth. Have mercy. Go after them. Have mercy. Plead with them. Because you see what is before them. Mercy will be multiplied to you. And judgment will be all that they receive. And for those who are close to being captured by the teaching of these false teachers and the behavior of these false teachers, believers are to, verse 23, save them by snatching them out of the fire. Using the image of someone like running into a building to save someone from a burning building. Jude actually alludes to the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 3. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there now to Zechariah 3. And he says, rather than give up on these people, believers actually must see their lives can still be salvaged and they could be snatched from the fire that threatens to destroy them. Friends, as as you're turning there, let me ask you, are there people that you've just given up on? Jude says, rescue these people. Don't be so quick to write them off because perhaps there was a time in your life when people thought that you were the one who was too far gone and that your life was the one that couldn't be salvaged. Zechariah chapter three, verses one through five. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments And the angel of the Lord was standing by. In Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua the high priest is described as a burning stick. His life is on fire. It's all a mess. And he is snatched from the fire of a messy, broken life. Fire that he's destined for because of his sin, as illustrated in verses 3 through 5 by the filthy garments that he has. What he's merited with his life is filthy, dirty, and it's leading to pain. 
fire he avoided when God's grace snatched him from the fire by cleansing him from his sins, as illustrated by the removal of all of the filthy garments and then being clothed with clean ones to symbolize the forgiveness of sins. Jude calls these believers to play a similar type of role in the lives of those influenced by false teachers, by people who tell them false things. You can do what you want. You can live the way that you want. You can have all of the autonomy you want and still call yourself one of God's people. You can twist that. He didn't really mean that. Jude says, play a similar type of role in their lives. Snatch them away from the lies that seduce them. Go after them and tell them that the false teaching of the false teachers is false. Why? Because there remains hope that they can be restored and forgiven and rescued from the coming judgment and brought into a right relationship and a healthy relationship and a flourishing relationship with God. Friends, if we pleaded with people as much as we spent time disagreeing with people, we would see our church more full than it is. If we spend as much time pleading with sinners to come to Christ as we did reminding them of their wrongness, we would see far more conversions than we do. If we loved our neighbors enough to plead with them, we would see the neighbors that we love that live all around us in this church building coming to Christ. But it's hard to plead and to extend mercy to people who are deceived and difficult. And Jude knew it. So he calls God's church to not simply recognize wrong and to equip themselves so that they can resist wrong, but to go after those who have been plunged into the darkness of all of that wrong and snatch them out of it, pleading with them to come to Christ. Are you so focused on telling people that they're living wrong that you no longer seek to persuade people to live a life of faith in Jesus Christ? And for those already defiled by the false teachers, Jude has more to tell us. He says that mercy can be extended even to them. Verse 23. And to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Jude tells us to be extremely careful. Going after people, we must be extremely careful so that we are not stained ourselves. We need to have an appropriate fear as we go after people so that we're not deceived. We need to avoid the danger of being stained by the sin that we seek to call people away from. But we still need to show them mercy. We need to show mercy to those who are ensnared in sin. We don't need to participate with them in the sin. We need to call them away from the sin. It's a mercy that's mingled with fear. A fear of what will happen to them, a fear of coming judgment, and a hatred for sin, because sin can be so deceptive and so corrupting. As many believers know, in seeking to go after people, we lose our holiness and walk away into godlessness that Jude is warning these people about. A mercy mingled with fear, because sin can be so corrupting. There is a harsh and swift strategy to be taken against false teachers. But mercy is to be given to those who are confused by their false teaching. And Jude tells us to show mercy while maintaining standards of purity and righteousness. We are to be distinct. We are to be an unusual people. We are to be a, a holy and godly and righteous people. We are to do the hard work of building ourselves up in the faith and throwing off the sin that so easily entangles and putting to death the deeds of the flesh and putting on the deeds of righteousness and putting off our old way of life and putting on the new way of life while calling people away from the sin that will destroy them. And he tells us to remember how to treat others mercifully because that is exactly what God uses in their life to save them from the impending judgment. Friends, it is easy to rail. It's easy to ridicule. It's easy to criticize. It is very difficult to show mercy and to bear with others. But that is precisely 
what we're called to, Jude, uh, to do by Jude. But Jude did not think that mercy never uh, means that we never say that some things are wrong that are wrong. Jude was able to hold all of those things in a balance. That we were to judge some things and say this is wrong and extend mercy. That we were to keep ourselves away from certain things and run after people who are confused. That we were to tell people that they are misleading God's people and we are seek to save some people who have been misled by false teachers. That the church is to be a place that has a high standard of truth and integrity and moral righteousness while at the same time going after people broken and bringing them in and extending to them the grace of God that they might know the grace and mercy of God on the last day. Judas prayed that these people would know mercy and peace and love in verse 2. And now he calls them to extend mercy. Jude has no sympathy for false teachers who pervert the grace of our God and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. He is fierce with false teachers. But he does not think that identifying them is enough. As he turns from describing them to teaching believers, the church must labor to keep herself in the love of God while extending mercy to other people so that they might be received and restored. Friends, may it be so among us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to see falsehood for what it is, false. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be people who build one, another's up, uh, build one another up in the faith once for all delivered to the saints, encouraging one another, praying with one another, awaiting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ together. And Father, we pray that you would cultivate among us a love for those who are deceived, a love for those who are walking away from the faith, a love from those who do not love the Christ that we love. May we be quick to extend mercy to them and call them to everlasting life. Father, we ask that you would preserve us in the faith. We know that it is easy to think that it's other people out there that are the problem. But Jude has helped us to see that sometimes it's the very people who are in here who are the problem, deceived by their feelings, believing things that are false and that the world would tell them is okay when it's all a lie. May we be quick to call it for what it is, sin, and extend mercy and grace to those who repent. Father, may we be a people who are characterized by mercy as we know more of the mercy that is ours in Christ and await for more mercy to be poured out on us when he returns. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and continue in worship with us?